Okay, and I just want to do another audio test. Can you speak, Olive? Yes, I can. Okay, can you speak at, like, your quietest? Yes, I can. And then can you speak at, like, the loudest you're going to speak? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we're good. Welcome to Cold Email with Basha and Olive. Episode 19, Getting 10 Likes, The Myth of Overnight Success. Okay, so the reason we're doing an an audio test like this is because this is the first cold email recorded in the same room ever. It is. Same room. Yes. Would you say we're sitting a foot apart on a bench? Yes. Yes, we're sitting <laughs> we're sitting a foot apart on a bench. <laughs> Olive, I have a big question for you today. Yes. A question that can ruin an otherwise good day, or a feeling related to a question. Olive, is success as an artist determined by the number of likes you get on Instagram? Obviously, I think it is not. So why does it literally feel that way and it makes you feel so bad? Because they <laughs> make it that way so that you use the app. I hate it. It's, yeah, it's bad quantifying the success with the, the numbers and because you want to feel like you have like a number to your success so that you can see visually and they do that but it's not actually like and it's not quantifiable they just yeah. want you to feel like oh we can quantify it for you use our app yeah yeah i feel like the point is that it it is supposed to be a tool but before we get too far into this all of you want to read the episode name Yes, this is episode 19, Getting 10 Likes, Heart, and the Myth of Overnight Success. You mean greater than three. And greater than three, the myth of oh overnight success. Oh my god, I really success. did tear a hole in my pants earlier. <laughs> okay, back to Instagram. Two things that can kind of wreck your day. Ripped pants, which I usually find funny, but I'm kind of low on pants, so right now I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like this is a little sad, and they're leggings, so they're hard to repair. I mean, by which I mean impossible. But I think... The other thing that can kind of F up your mood, which is stupid. You're like, it's Instagram. But like, do you know when you get like 10, 10 likes? The namesake of the episode. Getting 10 when likes. You get and 10 you're, likes. Yeah. And I hate to be like, I don't mean to be vapid or um, superficial or anything, but it's like you're posting work, you know, and it, as all was kind of suggesting, I feel like it kind of, it's kind, it kind of is like the number equals like data, like yeah. equals measure of success yeah. because and like- like is a false quantification, yeah. if those are words. Well, it's, it's supposed to be like growth over, I mean, it's literally data f- to help understand like what people like, right? But like, I think the thing we have to remember is that it is not like impartial data. Data yeah, is like no. never impartial and this is extremely- yeah. um, not impartial so like famously their their algorithm like their infamous algorithm that shows people or does not show people right your work and your posts depending on whether it feels like it or not so fuck al gore for making that <laughs> just fuck kidding al gore. but i think we're all wondering the same thing i found this episode is going to be a lot about um reading primary sources so if you hate those turn it off now but i think we're kind of good at it yeah we did this before for the baseball one yeah i feel like it's just like it's interesting to hear people what they have to say so i think from time to time we all wonder did i do something to anger the instagram algorithm 
And while I was doing research for this episode and Googling around in like different colloquial terms, I found this post on Reddit with the same title, Do I Did I Do Something to Anger the Instagram Algorithm? In R slash Artist Lounge. And what Kaya the Panini says is, I read an Instagram account with around 600 followers. I started four years ago, roughly around the same time I joined art school. Okay, like it already. So I, <laughs> I would say... Uh, a lot of my following are fellow college mates. Usually I post once a week and get around 130 to 200 likes, which is great for me as I've never actively tried to get more likes and followers. But this October, I started attempting to draw every day. Inktober, spooky-tober, small animations, etc. I thought this would be a great chance for me to get better as well as get more followers and traction for once. I mean, I think we all know that feeling. Yeah. I noticed my first post of October did exceptionally well and it got me super motivated to continue. However, as the week continued, I noticed a huge drop in my engagement. My posts from the past few days have been getting 50 to 30 likes and even my story views have dropped from an average of 200 views to only 60 to 40. Okay, I think they flipped the range. Um, As said, I've never actively sought out IG as a way to sell my art. But the one time I am trying to do it, it completely backfires. Is this, is excuse me, is there something I should be avoiding doing? I will still continue trying to post every day of this month, though as I feel my art is actually improving a lot, but it would be great if I could get some advice. And then, well, I guess we can read some of the comments. Like, have you, you felt that way, right? Yes, yeah. Well, you don't post that often. No. So you don't feel this way. Last month. No, but I used to post a lot and it was like frustrating when I was like trying to like improve my art by making a lot of like new things and different things and the ones that I was very proud of and happy with that I was going in like new directions with would not do well at all and then like a random one would do well like yeah. Oh, and then it makes you feel like... But I feel feel like I'm past, I'm like, I don't like, I post my art on Instagram now, but it's... Do you turn off your like numbers? No, I do not because I don't use it that much. No, that's cool. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, they didn't invent turning off your like numbers last time you posted. I think they did. It was like just last time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think that's cool. I, I am like a bit of a, a, I don't want to say a digital hoarder because I'm not, I, I just like, like being an archivist. I like being an archivist. Yeah. I think that's fine. And so I like saving a lot of things online and like making arena channels and like posting things and really documenting. So I, I, and I'm like trying to, you know, like grow as an artist, whatever. So I've been trying to post a lot and like totally agreed. Like the posts were doing well. And then they started get like one post. I have like a little more than a thousand followers, a thousand, a hundred, whatever. One post got 20 likes. And I just, like, it made me feel like everyone saw it and was like, this sucks, except for 20 people. So, like, about 1,040 people said this sucks. That's how it made me feel, but I I don't think that was the case. No, it doesn't show it to all 1,000 people, which is, like, the insane part. It's like, the followers mean nothing because the app itself has an algorithm that no matter how many followers you have will right. only show it to certain people so it's completely like counterproductive yeah. yeah as like an yeah yeah it's crazy 
the comments are kind of about that too people are saying like don't repeat hashtags like that'll change your um order in the algorithm like that'll put you down this person says this is normal but like i care more about my accounts reached which i've like never heard of mm-hmm. people using but cool i think that's um, people who you don't follow you and like see okay. it on like the explore pages but then that you don't get interaction like so why does it yeah. i don't really get why that matters i don't know um and then periwinkles do you want to read Periwinkles' comment? Oh man, I'm sorry. It's probably not you though. Instagram's pushing creators to pay for ads, as we all know. <laughs> I have almost 4,000 followers and some of my posts don't even get 50 likes. My posts used to consistently get 300 to 500 likes each, but this year it totally tanked. I also lose followers every time I post something. Haha. <laughs> Try different platforms. Pinterest is usually pretty great for artists. That's crazy that Pinterest they say is actually pretty great for artists. I feel like Pinterest is easy for your stuff to get reposted without credit though. That's my only oh, yeah. that's my only thing with Pinterest. Yeah. Very easily for it to get stolen. Well, okay, so then this guy this guy sorry, being colloquial. Writer Lance Olinoff writes that the Instagram we loved is dead on his substack, which is one zero, like O N E Z E R O dot um medium.com oh well that's medium that's not substack but okay they made it like substack so i got confused when i wrote this yeah so i was gonna just read some excerpts from this piece which kind of speaks about yeah the the changing of the algorithm and like movements to other platforms so lance says quote scrolling through my instagram feed the other day i hit a video then another and another where were the photos? They're not gone, but on a site that features an analog camera as its logo, now they're second-class citizens. It's not that Instagram videos are new. Facebook added 15-second clips to the Instagram feed back in 2013. A few years later, they added Instagram Live, likely response to Meerkat and Periscope. I don't know what those are. I know Periscope was Twitter. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Go on. That same year, Instagram added Stories, a Snapchat-style content-sharing feature. In 2020, we got reels to compete with the surging TikTok, a platform that continues to eat Instagram's lunch. <laughs> so basically saying that like photos have... Photos are over. Uh, yeah, it's like Instagram, <laughs> which started as a platform for photography and still images, is no longer that. And it's just trying to compete with everything else on there. I'm going to read the last paragraph of this because I think it sums it up with it. I didn't join Instagram to view videos, and in general, I don't post them. My feed is filled with photos of birds, the moon, a small collection of more personal photos. I don't plan on making a business of it, but now I wonder if it's even the best place to post pictures. I'm finding some better image engagement on, surprisingly, in the significantly smaller Twitter. Is that true? I feel like Twitter is not smaller than Instagram. No, it's smaller, yeah. Huh. I think so. I've heard that in Convo. Hmm. In reading more than combo? <laughs> I would not think so. But anyways, here's the last sentence of it. A platform that also continues to change, but somehow still manages to stay true to its original purpose. Posting mi- microblog missives. And that's about Twitter, just yes, to clarify. that's about Twitter. A of... <laughs> I was in the middle yeah. of that sentence. Yeah, and then in the article, um, Lance Olnoff also writes about his... I think it, it's like his brother-in-law. I don't his know. His brother. 
Oh, his brother. Yeah, his brother is like a cartoonist randomly at Yap Laws, Y-A-P-L-A-W-S, who has 40k followers and, you know, was getting a thousand likes per image. And then he was like, I'm getting shadow banned. And then Lance was like, nah, like no fucking way. But then he was like, okay, like, I've liked every one of his posts, but now I, like, cannot find them in my feed. Like, I don't know what happened. So he's like, okay, like, shadow banning is real. It is. You said you thought you had just gotten shadow banned, like, the other day. I feel like shadow banned. Yeah. Okay, so, but then it went from, like, 20 likes to, like, 70 likes on a different thing. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like shadow banning is like, I don't know, I feel like they just use shadow banning now I know, they on just literally it. everyone for like any, like... They just want you to pay yeah, for the ads and make videos. And I feel like that also ties back into Lance's last comment was like, it's like personal photos. And he says, I don't plan on making a business of it. And Instagram mm. has become just about businesses it's like there's yeah. it's not really a platform to post personal fun like pictures well, anymore creatives do yeah yeah but it still is like it's very like curated yeah. it's like yeah it's advertising in a different way it's not like oh here's a fun photo it's like my life looks really good here's a really fancy picture it is ad, ad city yeah there was a really good piece in the guardian which was called why Instagram's creatives are angry about its move to video, which kind of sums up a lot of good stuff about this. Oh, it's written by Amelia Tate from August of 2021. So it's kind of recent. Oh, wait. Oh, before we get into this, just about the last one, I wanted to say because of that article, I did start using Twitter to like post stuff. It's like not going so well. Like, like you'll like i just don't know that many people on twitter i like i started a new account like there's a an account i was using like when i was in diy like -hmm. playing shows and stuff and i don't like i kind of like post about that there it's like more public and this is like this one has like my full name attached and like my website yeah it's like oh my graphic design yeah i don't know It, it feels like mad fake i don't know i'm thinking of just like making it again a visual diary which I think someone in this article does. Okay, so yeah, why Instagram's creatives are angry about its move to video. In late July, hobbyist photographer and self-proclaimed sunrise hunter Sam Binding conducted an an experiment. After visiting Somerset Lavender Farm to catch the sun peeking over the purple blossoms, the 40-year-old from Bristol uploaded the results to both Instagram and Twitter. Oh, okay, so Twitter. Uh, Two days later, he used the app's built-in analytic tools to assess the impact of his shots. Uh, On Instagram, a total of about 6,000 people saw his post, just over half of his 11k followers. On Twitter, his post was seen by about 5k people, despite the fact that he has just 333 followers on the site. See, this is why I went to Twitter. I was like, oh, even if I have like 12 followers, which I think is the case, I'm like, Okay, those stats seem way better. Like, it's algorithm that shows your post to new people seems to be better. Yeah, and then this article goes on to say, you know, when Facebook bought Instagram in 2012, which I feel like it was more recent. Yeah, I'm like, like, that was so long ago. I I think when we were talking about this episode, I was telling you that, like, you used to get home from, like, high school and... Like, people would be, like, you would just, like, see what people did during the day. And, of course, yeah. people were, like, trying to, 
like flex and stuff but it was like oh it just felt like more supportive it was like and it was give fun me much, like, it, there's no pressure on it like there are a lot you know we all think i think we all know like those blue green filters with like the vignettes from 2012 no. and we've all used oh, them yes like the instant like on instagram like their own filters do you know stuff. why there are filters on instagram i learned why because early camera phones were so bad like the oh, early iPhone true. camera. Yeah, they were so bad that, that they, like yeah. the filters really did. You were like, wow, this looks so much better with a yeah. filter on it. And it was also like because like uh, the person in the last article said like the logo being a film camera. I yes. feel like they were trying to tie that in before Facebook bought them. Like, okay, like make this app a little like include some old film photography things to add a little spice. Did you know fun. it's yes, sorry for interrupting you. Did you know that the first filter was called X Pro II? Oh, I, AKA I remember two. that one. I used that yeah, one. Yeah, that was often. after an analog photo developing technique. Wow. Yeah, so it was really like rooted in like photography yeah. and the love of photography. Okay, Facebook buys Instagram. Like the new head of Instagram recently says, like, I want to say we're no longer a photo sharing app which like true all i see is videos okay we get it like you're on your tiktok like i'm confused <laughs> i'm confused as to what i'm looking at tiktok <laughs> instagram it's like all the same sarah tasker an instagram and creative business coach and author of hashtag authentic finding creativity and building a community on instagram and beyond says video is time consuming okay true and has a steeper learning curve and can be a challenge for those who are self-conscious in front of the camera. As someone who tries to like videotape myself doing stuff, I hate it so much. Yeah, and it sucks. I do not like being on the camera. Like it makes me feel like I'm performing in a way that I like is not a part of my practice. And it takes forever to edit anything. But anyways, artist and photographer Nick Wafflington, it's English, is also troubled by changes at Instagram, which he's used for 10 years. He has 18K followers. He usually sells limited edition artworks and monographs pretty regularly. And he says, I am not going to start dancing and holding my photographs. I will probably go back to using it as a personal account now. And that's because his reach has decreased so much. And he experimented because he was like, how could this be? He recently uploaded a photo of model Kendall Jenner that he lifted from the web. And he says, it went nuts. I got the most likes and most reach I've ever had. Yeah, is that really what they want me to do, basically? <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And then there's this one illustrator also that they um, interview, Taryn Brench. Instagram has negatively affected her work, she says, and her attitude towards work. And she goes, I drew some pictures of some cats. I'm not even a cat person. I actually hate cats. But I posted it on Instagram and knew it would do really well. The post did do well. And it seems like then she was like, should I like draw cats? And then she's like, wait, I hate cats. So I don't know. isn't that what we were saying? Like it kind of like it's it's like guiding your career. It's like yeah. your mentor. It's like, like a make way. this because this is what's popular. Like it's like people don't like things that aren't cats. People like cats. You have to make cats even if you don't like them. It's what will perform in our app and our app is the 
the definition of success. So if you're not drawing cats and being successful on our app, then you're a failure. It's like a villain. TikTok is also like kind of like tough, even though it's yeah. like maybe you get like more engagement on a single like can you like speak through it a little you know it much better than i so i i am on tiktok a little bit more i don't post as much on it because it's like the earlier um article said like i'm not going to start dancing holding up my drawings but also if i want to do process videos that's very difficult and takes a lot of time um and you have to devote a lot of effort to it and it's I'm not a particular fan of process videos. I'm sorry, hot take, unpopular opinion, but I don't no, really I, love them. I hate them. making them. Yeah. No, don't you feel like you're, like, performing? Yeah. Have I you ever done it? Yeah, I've, like, the ones that are on my TikTok are process ones, and I feel like I'm not able to focus as much on what yeah. I'm making. You're like, which I... way are my hands moving? Can yeah. the camera see my hand? Yeah. It's acting. I'm like, oh, is this interesting to watch? Or am I spending too much time drawing in this specific section of this thing? Um, I also, I don't really like watching them either. I think they're like a gross oversimplification of like all, any and all artistic processes. And they don't do um, artists and creators much good. Can except I... for, yeah. Oh, sorry. Can I just push you on that? Like, could you... Uh... You want to explain that a little more? Yeah, so they everything on there it has to be sped up because it has to fit under a minute for most people unless you have enough followers to get the three minute videos on TikTok. Wait, really? Yeah, it's you have like to have a, a second class citizen. Yeah, it's like Instagram where you can't like you used to do not be able links. to put links. Yeah. It's like you can only and you can do live videos and you can do three minute videos after you get in a certain amount That's of followers. Cool. And put your I think certain links in your bio, like you can't like put like a website link, like that happened for a while, but I think they changed it. Like it was, they're like, okay, plebeian. They're like, you have to use this app, like work for your, (laughs) you have to work (laughs) for your three minute videos. Um, A different type of dancing in front of the camera, dancing in front of the camera, not for your audience or for the people who like your work, but for TikTok, for them to approve of you to make more videos dancing with your work (laughs) anyways um let's see let's see um what were you saying you were saying the what's like the problem yeah the problem with tiktok is the algorithm is very good at showing you exactly what you want to see and you can get a lot of views and a lot of engagement on a post that is like a very like niche thing. So like unlike Instagram where it might be hard to, I don't know, post like, uh, I don't know, some random thing. Okay, so I like, I sometimes in my free time, I'm, I read books about tying knots. Yeah. Like there's, okay, like to, you, to relax. If you posted like a little <laughs> video of you like tying knots, like as like a fun little thing, oh, yeah. that will hit like your audience Not on TikTok. Talk. Yeah, like on yeah. TikTok. Also, that know. was completely true. And I just revealed it. I added myself <laughs> right there. No, I can it was read a good example. Thank tying. you for inserting. Oh, I yeah, couldn't sure. think of anything. Well, it's just like it, any like neat. They're like, oh, here's your niche community. Yeah, it like is very good at putting you right in front of your niche community. But because it's so good at that, everybody really relies on the for you page and not a lot of people follow people on tiktok because 
Personally, Ooh. I know I don't. I will, if I find an artist I like, I will, like, I'll see, I'll probably see them on TikTok, like, over and over and over again, even though I don't follow them, but I'll try to follow them on Instagram instead mm, of that. They have different purposes. Yeah. Um, but you but, won't see their posts yeah, on Instagram. Like, then you won't see their posts on Instagram, so I just rely on TikTok to show me their videos over and over again, because it's in a niche. Um... But it's also, it's also difficult because it has like a similar thing to Instagram where it's, it's also advertising very much. Like a good friend of mine has a TikTok where she posts like fun little videos. Like every day last summer, she did a video for every day of the summer where she just took like little snippets of her day, like gardening, cats, this and that, like things that she really liked about her day, even if they kind were Kind of small. as a, a journal. Yeah, like a, a video journal, journal like a for video her journal. and like her friends to see. Yeah. And like you. Yeah. And so she also posts videos of, she does a lot of like thrifting and sewing too. She has an Etsy shop. So her thrifting videos that summer when she would go and post a thrift haul would get an insane amount of views, an insane amount of likes. And then her little like you know, her blog videos for her summer book posts would get nothing in comparison. It was very frustrating for her because she really liked those videos and they were fun for her to make. They but, make it feel less special. Yeah. Or like, less joy- like, cause I know I've made stuff and I'm like, I like, this is great. This is artistic development. Like, I love this, whatever. And then you're like, oh, like the air gets taken out of your balloon and it makes it like less. Yeah. It made her not want to use TikTok. Yeah. Um, and it was like, I mean, the videos were only for videos of things that she bought where she was like showing things mm. that she bought, like it, using her as an advertisement, basically, mm. which sucks. So, so Alv, what do we do? Because they're all, obviously, like they're all. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I feel like we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. I feel like you have like a, I feel like Twitter is like an interesting option right now. Know, and maybe right? return to Tumblr also. Yeah, like they're, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe blogs. I played around with putting yeah. a blog on my website or like newsletters. It's hard to reconcile with they They all have such problems. Yeah, I think they're all yeah, yeah. trying to use you for money yeah, right. to make money for their platform. <laughs> I think for me, Olive's like, Olive's going to Tumblr. I think Olive. Yeah. I have one, I have a Tumblr blog, and Olive is, like, the only follower. I like every single post. Yeah, I'm like, it's just, like, we're texting, but it's, it's like, great. my secret I'm blog. like, <laughs> there's, I'm like, oh, that's a screenshot of my text. Like, yes. Give that a like. <laughs> it's, like, my little diary. So, I don't know. I'm just, like, trying to double down on, like, making work, and I'm trying to care less about, like, getting the likes. Yeah. Obviously, it's really hard, and they, like, kind of, I, like, hide the like number usually, but it still, like, feels bad when you don't get likes but i'm like okay it's actually not about like the volume of like response you get like weirdly and unintuitively it's it's sometimes literally about like one person seeing your work yeah like this this guy liked my post recently who's like a friend from a long time ago and it just made me think like oh like i should invite like matt over for dinner and we'll make like tofu all together all three of us but look so that's like I, I think like an interpersonal like example but like yeah sometimes like I feel like I'm just post like I'll post something and then someone will like like it and then hit me up for work or like I don't you never know like it's just one per like 
a hundred people don't need to give you a job. I mean, it would be nice, I guess, like a gig. Yeah. It's just like one, like someone needs to be reminded, like you're there. So I'm kind of just trying to like punch the algorithm a little. Sorry to be yeah. violent. Until I'm like, okay, like someone's gonna see this. Like, yeah. that's all it's about. Yeah. Like just having people see it. So even if it like doesn't feel so hot all the time. I'm just gonna keep like doing it it's putting something out there yeah oh you said you're gonna like in in our notes you said you're gonna make fan art that gets popular and then like shift to posting your original work is kind of like a that's how it used to really work on tumblr but I feel like tumblr now like is interesting because it doesn't really have yeah I feel like people like it because it doesn't have ads and you can't Mm -hmm. see followers and it doesn't have an algorithm. And also posts that you've made like years ago, like say you did a drawing years ago, it can still like circulate, which I think is a very cool thing. Like, you know, you make an Instagram post, if it gets 20 likes, that's all it's ever gonna get. You make a post on Tumblr, it gets 20 likes off the bat. Next year, it could be like a thousand in a day because it's all like, like you were saying, tying it in the one person that sees it one person reblogs it and then you know it gets into like the the circle it gets into the circulation again yeah it's very interesting different way of uh like a different operating system for the platform i guess totally also i just scrolled through scrolled through tumblr because we have our like we host our little site there shout out tumblr um, to see if I could find an ad, because I'm like, wait, I think they have the ads, but I also have an ad blocker, so I realize I that do probably... too. No, the I ad think the blocker have... works perfectly, think... like flawlessly yeah, yeah. in Tumblr. Anyways, before we get too long-winded here, and we're gonna talk to some interesting people that have interesting thoughts on using social media for their creative practices. But the like happy moral here, maybe if you're looking for one, uh, just keep doing you, and like, it'll work. Yeah, right? like, just keep doing you and it'll work. Algorithm be damned. Yeah, Fuck damn you, the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. But... <laughs> he, he's never done anything for me. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. You, yeah. you have any more thoughts? No, I think I'm good. Yeah, they're, they're tools. Use yeah. them as such. Don't let them rule your life, I guess. That is a very good summation of this episode Thank they are you. tools easier said than done anyways we're all we're all figuring it out we are but let's hear i think this is a good time to hear from our guest bettina mackintall who is a manila born philadelphia raised brooklyn based food and culture writer who covers food through the lens of pop culture history and cultural criticism Bettina has also worked as an associate print editor at Bon Appetit and as a staff writer at Vice's Munchies. Bettina has also worked at a cheese magazine, worked as a bike mechanic, and decorated ice cream cakes. And Lizzo once gave a shout out to her kale pesto, Bettina's kale pesto, on TikTok. Cool. Isn't that crazy? Part 2 the interview with Bettina Mac all in all. Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Bettina. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your work. Um, 
and I read your pieces before we talked for an article that one time. So it was very cool to talk to you and it's fun to follow along. Yeah, totally. Thank you. Cool. Cool. Okay. All right. Cool. Got it all. Yeah. So first question for you is what social media platforms do you use? And um, what do you think are like the strengths and weaknesses of each, like your favorite, least favorite, et cetera? Totally. So I think I'm on everything basically. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and like, I still use Facebook, even though that's like, I know it's very over. (laughs) Um, I feel like my favorite one is probably Twitter. I just feel like I like the sort of like brain dump aspect of it. Um, I definitely don't love the sort of like Twitter mindset where like, you know, I feel like you get into like people can sort of be more negative than you you know you like expect or want and I feel like that's always sort of like you never know when that's coming and that's kind of like the main thing I don't like about that you know I like that Instagram like feels very much like that's where like I feel like I it's basically everyone I've ever met in my life or like ever been friends with or worked with so I like that just for like keeping up with people um but yeah I feel like Instagram is very sort of like clear that there is sort of like these things that you should do for things to do well. And I think the like pressure of sort of like the actual engagement of Instagram can be a lot. I like TikTok because I feel like, you know, it's like fun and like the best way to sort of see a lot of things that maybe I wouldn't see otherwise. But I think that one's definitely one also where like, I kind of don't like how, you know, how like the algorithm is nice because it gives you stuff you wouldn't see otherwise, but it also like throws my content sometimes onto like people who I don't necessarily interact with on the internet very much. And so sometimes like you really can't control like the audience your stuff ends up with, which I don't really love. And then Facebook is just like, I really just hate that I still use it, but I feel like so much of my like, like, you know, like groups and stuff are still based there. Um, So I feel like pulled to like pulled into it, even though I know that like, you know, it kind of sucks as a platform and like, it's mostly, you know, I feel like nothing really fun is happening there anymore. Do you feel like, successful on social media does it vary by platform and is I guess the larger question is is there uh oh wait I should have done a little mics here um is there a measure of success you use universally or not if it's different per platform um I mean I would say that like I'm definitely more successful on social media than like I ever anticipated or like really it's not like a goal I set and then suddenly there's like way more people watching me than I sort of expected. So I don't know. I like feel like the only way I sort of keep being on social media in a way that I enjoy is if I don't actually like set metrics around it or like try to pay attention to sort of like the numbers part of it. So I think like I'm objectively successful because I think if you like actually, I've heard that like the Twitter breakdown is like most people on Twitter like have like fewer than like a hundred followers or something wild like that. So like by that metric, I'm like, Yes, definitely like a power user, but I try not to sort of concern myself with it. Yeah. So with that, like, how do you like to use social media? Like, do you have like a strategy or like some sort of like system for posting? So I've definitely sort of like thought about it more now that I'm like, like, I think like now that I have like built up an audience on like various platforms, I think like with sort of like hindsight behind me, I can sort of like think about it as a strategy. But I think that like, when I'm actually posting, I think my strategy is actually to like not have a strategy. You know, I think that like, I think that like it's very individual. Like, you know, I think there's no sort of like rules on like what makes, you know, like what makes you successful on social media. And I've actually found that like what works for me is to just like actually be myself. And like on Twitter, I'm always just like, okay, like honestly, like I found that like if I think about a tweet for like 
30 seconds or less, like then it does well. But if I, I feel like if I hit a point where I'm like thinking about it too much, I'm like, it feels like you, I overthought it. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of my approach is just like posting whatever being kind of chill and like, not actually like having, like, I've never used like a hashtag on Instagram or like, I never post at like certain times. So it's just like, I'm just like doing it whenever I feel like it basically. Yeah. Oh, this is fun. I feel like we're, you're so sick. Like to me, I'm like, oh my God, Bettina's so successful on social media. I'm like, we're talking to the popular kid. I'm like, I'm like in a way, um, in a very nice way. So it's nice to like pick your brain, but I'm like, oh my God, like what are the secrets? Um, I think a lot of people, it's very like opaque for a lot of people, like how I guess like people like get so big and how things blow up. And I think it's also like people also always talk about like capital B, capital O being online. Um, (laughs) yeah. Do you ever, do you ever feel like that's like detrimental to you in any way? Like it's, it's not like the most fun question, but, um, yeah. Does, does being online suck? Like it's part of your job. You have to. Total. I mean, so I think that there's like, I feel like I see this, I hear this thing a lot with like very online people where the idea is sort of like, they're only online until you can do X, Y, Z that like, you know, the book deal or the like movie deal or whatever thing is successful. And then you can like not be online. Right. But like, actually, like I am just so being online is like so integral to my sense of self. Like I got on like Neopets when I was 10 and just like found all my internet friends through like forums and like was like a diehard live journaler for all of my teenage years. So like, um, I actually don't think that being online is bad and I have no desire to ever not be online. (laughs) Um, which like, I think is just a thing that's fine to own about myself. I think that in some ways, like being online, it has been bad. Like just definitely sort of like as a creative, I'm sort of aware of the like response of online. Right. But I actually think that like being a very online person is just very much like how my brain works. Like I always want to like find where people are talking about the thing or like be able to like research the thing. Right. Like I just like my first inclination is always just like go online and like look a thing up or like, you know, find the scene on Instagram or whatever. And so like, so I think overall, like the benefits of it or like my interest in being online definitely outweighs the bad things. I feel like a large part of your like writing practice is like being able to pick up like on trends online. Like I know you've done like a number of stories that kind of you catch the trend before everyone else, you like formalize it. For example, like the the cakes with the frogs, um, stuff like that. I mean, the thing is, right, like, I think, like, you know, like, Taylor Lawrence at the New York Times does really, really good, like, coverage of, like, creators and, like, the way the internet is changing how people, like, make things and create businesses, right? But I feel like in the food niche, like, there's not a lot of people who are treating, like, food internet trends super seriously. And I feel like a lot of, you know, a lot of the coverage is like, oh, here's, like, this salad that everyone's making on TikTok, like, you should make it too, Um, so I do kind of like being able to sort of like take that thing that like idea of just like taking like the internet trend really seriously and like actually like talking to people who are creating a thing or like understanding why people are doing a thing. And yes, I think that's really fun partially just because it feels like a sort of like undertapped niche right now. And like, it is a sort of nice way to be able to take like the thing that is like fascinating me on my feeds. Right. And like actually turn it into something, you know, that is like also related to my interest, which is just like writing about things. 
I have a quick question. And while we're doing that, I think I'm going <laughs> to take the mic out for a second because we're going <laughs> to technical difficulties. Um, do you feel like the, there's like still a dismissal, I guess, of like internet culture? Like I, I think it's always kind of been present, right? As like a young, mm. like not guy on the internet from like fangirling to like Tumblr to everything. People just don't take like things people do online seriously often, especially if they're like considered like, I don't know, feminine or just like yeah. anything that like youth culture, like people don't take that seriously. So do you feel like like that lack of coverage, that like niche that you're filling is kind of a, a continuation of that situation? Oh, totally. I mean, I think that and I think a lot of like the big sort of internet culture reporters like have done a really good job at getting people to take the internet more seriously. But I feel like in food in particular, there's still this thing, right, where like, you know, like I think like food bloggers clearly got really successful and like made this like very legit industry. But I think a lot of people still sort of like talk about them sort of like derisively and are like, oh, it's just a food blogger or like, you know, and that's like a space that was mostly like being done by like women and moms and stuff like that on the internet. And so there was definitely a gendered aspect to that. And I feel like because TikTok is sort of like, and like Instagram and stuff like that is also, and social media more generally is like even more sort of like lower barrier to entry. And like, there's more like younger people and like women and people of different genders. Um, and like, I think especially the fact that it's younger people. Yeah. I think it's a lot easier for, you know, like mainstream, like older people culture to dismiss it, especially because it feels like, you know, I think if you're like older and you're not looped into TikTok, it just feels like a thing that people do to waste their time, despite the fact that it is actually like a huge, like booming industry and people are actually like getting cookbook deals out of it and stuff like that. I think it's like, yeah, I think there's a lot of sort of dismissal still. Okay, last thing on this tangent really quick. It, I think also yeah. like totally in agreement. And I think part of that dismissal, at least for some people, is like the the beginnings of exploitation. Like it, it sets it up for like, well, no, what, like we don't care about this. Like it's not, we're not interested. Like we're not going to give it money, but like secretly copying it. I know that happens all the time and like illustration and design, um, especially in the music world. So that's, uh, I think that's the end of my like hot take rant of questioning here. Well, like on that note too, I think it's just like, I mean, it's sort of like the thing that like food bloggers have dealt with forever, which is like people not taking their work seriously and being like, you know, the endless, like don't put the words before the recipe, just give us the recipe. But at the same time, like it's all coming from people who like want the recipe for free. And so like, I feel like on TikTok, it is all like, you get those people who are like, clearly think you're like, it's just a person making like a food video on TikTok. Right. But then like, there, it's always sort of the same, like, it always seems like the same people are the ones who are like, just want the recipe. And like, clearly they want to benefit from it, but they also don't want to like, take it seriously as something that they'd ever have to like, you know, pay solid attention to or ever like pay for. Jumping back into um, our written questions here. Um, so do you ever find yourself comparing yourself to others on social media, like career wise or personally? You like definitely because I am like naturally a very um, competitive person, which is like a thing I don't like about myself. But like, I think that like, it's very easy on social media to like literally quantify, like, you know, you have the actual numbers, like you're like, X person got more likes than I did right on like this thing they posted. And like the last story I tweeted only got X likes. And so I think that, yeah, definitely sort of like makes that sort of like competitive nature that I feel like it definitely taps into that. And I think I have to like actively be like, this doesn't matter. Like this is a different person. And like, 
you know, they have a different career path. They have like different experience. Um, so yeah, definitely is a thing I deal with a lot. On that note, do you ever feel like, oh, like this story or like this dish that I made or like the way I did this got like more likes? Like I know we feel like this drawing got like did so well. Like let me make that drawing. Like it's it I feel like it's obvious, right? Like everyone, like that's what these platforms like are supposedly tools for, but then it it's like it's like kind of a really bad like critique. Like we both went to art school and I, it's just like it's kind of just like polling the populace, um, which is can be useful for something sometimes. But yeah, I don't know. Do, are you ever like um, influenced that way by like the metrics? And like, are you are you happy about it? I guess. So like, I think like probably the easiest example is like you know like I post like my cooking on Instagram, right? And like it's very easy for me to tell. Like literally, if I put like an egg on something, it does really well. And like, there are certain things that like, I really liked eating, but then if I post it on Instagram, it like doesn't do well because I think it's like less recognizable or it's like not immediately like eye-catching. And like, I think, you know, I definitely have had like phases where I've been like, okay, I'm going to like post a lot of eggs. Cause I like know that it's going to do well. But at the same time, I sort of don't like the fact that like, like, I don't like the idea of actually like sort of tweaking how I like I'm living my like actual in real life life based on like what I am like predicting people will, how people will perceive me on the internet. So like, yeah, I've definitely like felt myself doing that. And I've like definitely like been guilty of it, but it's like something I like try not to do. And like, I think especially like on Twitter, right? Like it's like, you can kind of tell, like, you know, there's certain like, you know, there's a whole accounts on Twitter that are literally just like engagement bots essentially. And they always just like pose a question so that people will like you know, respond to them. And like, it, it, it clearly works for engagement. Like there's so many people who do that. And like, you know, I've done that. And like, it's like, once I posted, it was like, oh, does anyone have carrot recipe ideas? And like, you know, got like a ton of engagement, like more, so I didn't realize people were so enthusiastic about carrots, but, you know, I feel like those are the type of things where like, you can like lean into it and be like, oh, I'm just going to like keep asking, like, what's your favorite vegetable recipe? Cause like, clearly it worked or like you, I can like not sort of fall into that like trap of just like, playing to engagement. And so, yeah, I like try not to do it, but it's definitely sort of like, there are definitely points where I'm like, I can see how I can like do things more strategically if I wanted to. Yeah. It's hard. Cause you want, it's like, who doesn't want success and to get better at stuff, but like, yeah, sometimes it, it saps like your identity and joy. Um, well, and also just like, I feel like the big thing is like, like, yes, that stuff can be successful, but like, do I actually want to be known for like being the person who posts like recipe prompts. Like, is that like the thing I want to like draw followers to me for? And it's like, most of the time the answer is like, no, like I don't want to be known as like the person who only posts eggs, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of posting eggs, egg posting, um, we wanted to talk a little about in the second half, your culinary and writing practice and the intersections. So in five words or less, what would you say your culinary practice is most informed by? Okay. My Twitter, just my Instagram, just like bio is no recipes, just vibes. And like, that's it. It's like, I'm just, I just like open the fridge and I'm like, this is a thing that excites me and I'll make it, but it's never structured. That's so good. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's so good. Good. <laughs> and it was for the recipes. <laughs> yeah. That was even better. <laughs> Perfect. Oh. Five words more or less. Yeah. Do you ever feel like pushback about doing Like, I know that's 
it's not generally the norm in like the cookbook economy. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, like for one thing, I'm like, you know, like I think I'm like very keenly aware that like I think I would have a lot more career path options and like opportunities if I just like accepted that people want recipes and like learn to write them. Um, however, I'm like stubborn and sort of like the thing that people want me to do, I don't want to do. So, so yeah. And I think, I mean, also like I get a lot of like people who ask me for recipes and like, I'll like write out a description because I feel bad sort of just like not leaving, like leaving people completely hanging. But yeah, it, it, like, I feel like one day it is like a thing I will have to overcome. But that's cool. I mean, you could always write it like your own way. Like, I guess it's cool. I think it's cool that you like one of the things I like about your posts, if that, like we live in 2022, I'm going to say that. Like, yeah, it's, it's more of a conversation than anything. Like, I, I think you can tell like you're, um, like you were someone who was like online for a while. Cause obviously like you're comfortable with it. Like the, having like an online community and interacting with people online and, um, providing them, uh, what they want in a way that isn't like, not what you want to do. Like exactly. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that like, also like, it's one of those things where like, I feel like it's like very clear when I'm like setting who my community is on like Instagram, right? Like it's like most of the people who are like my mutuals and friends are like, not going to ask me for, for like a recipe, but it's always just sort of like complete strangers who like don't even follow me who are the ones who are like acting like asking for that so it is I don't know I think it is like an interesting it is like an interesting situation when did your culinary and writing practices start to intersect like did they kind of develop separately or like together like how did it all come together I mean I think it's like I've always been into food but I was never super into cooking until like like, I always think that I started cooking like eight years ago, like when I started living on my own. But actually, I think I don't really, I don't really, I think I like actually didn't really cook a ton until like literally like COVID. And so like, it was kind of like, I liked food, but I was not like constantly making it, you know? And so then it's kind of like only more recently that I'm like, oh yeah, like home cooking is a thing that like matters to me a lot on an individual level. Um, And like, I don't know how much it actually sort of like, relates to my writing but it's sort of like has made me sort of like I feel like with food writers I notice like some people are like very like into restaurants and some people are really into cooking and I've realized I'm like definitely like the food writer type that's like more into cooking and doesn't like go out to eat a lot so I think it's sort of informed like how I like think about what I want to write which is not a ton of restaurant coverage you know yeah I was gonna ask if you kind of answered it a little but maybe you can elaborate if like you felt an identity shift when you were like, oh, I'm, I'm like someone who writes. And now I'm also someone who like makes food and do people like present themselves differently in those worlds? So, I, I mean, I think so, like, but only like primarily in the sense that like on like my food Instagram, I like mostly try not to follow people who do food professionally. So like it, like it, like, I think that to other people, it feels like the two, like me as food writer and like me as like posting food on Instagram are sort of like the same thing. But like in my head, I'm actually like trying to conceive of like two very separate internet spaces. Yeah. So I think that like, I'm like, I feel like I try to sort of cultivate separate people in those communities. I feel like we both feel similarly, like, sorry, I'm speaking for you, but like we both are designer illustrators, like whatever during the day. And then like, we'll both do like a little like fabrication work, not 
dirt like in the evenings or whatever yeah. and like sometimes sell it and I was like this year I was like should I file a separate like schedule C this feels very different to me even though like mm-hmm. I think people think it's the same thing like it it I guess it all makes up like your practice as a creative person yeah totally and I mean I think an interesting thing about it too that I've noticed is like you know like my food Instagram will get like a bunch of messages from like brands who like think that I'm just like an influencer and are therefore like oh well you do like videos for us or like make content for us and stuff but like I don't think they realize that like I'm also like a journalist and therefore can't work with brands and so it's like this interesting thing where like those two things like in that very specific sense like those two things operate so differently where like influencers if I were an influencer I could just like do all that stuff but like I actually can't you know and so I think that like sometimes people don't realize that I am like too different like you know, that I have like responsibilities or like an identity outside like that account. Do you think you'd ever go like full influencer? Well, so like, I'm like, want to stay in like traditional media as long as like traditional media will employ me. Cause it's like such a, it's like such a like tenuous, like there's constantly layoffs in digital media. So like, I'm going to just going to like have a job as long as like I have one. And if I ever get laid off, then I'll like think about different options uh, to use the internet and food. But yeah, for now, I think I'm just like, feel like going to stay in like media. Cool. I wanted to ask you if you could tell us a little about your favorite stories to write, if they share any common threads, or if it's just like, no, I really like this topic. Like it has nothing to do with this last topic. Or they're all about like, I don't know, like the uh, environment or like identity, something like that. So do they have common threads? No. If so, what are they? I mean, I think, like, honestly, like, I, I always, like, I'm thinking about this, right? Because, like, I feel like as a writer, like, most people have a beat, right? Where it's, like, clearly you do X, Y, Z. But I don't know. I feel like the common thread in, like, everything that I'm, like, am writing about is it's mostly just, like, a thing I'm really interested in, um, which is, like, very hard to describe to people. And, like, they're, like, so I don't think that I'm ever sort of, like, coming into stories with, like, a common thread. But other than, like, I think, like, I'm just, like, interested in, like, sort of how people interact with food and how like different communities construct meaning around food. Um, And I think those communities can be like, you know, in real life, like Filipino American community, but also just like people on the internet creating like a community around frog cakes or something silly like that. So it's really just like stuff that I think is fun and interesting. And like, I don't know, I think that I'm always just trying to like write food writing stuff that I haven't like seen. And that's probably the commonality really on the job grind for a second yeah so do you have like a favorite job like what was your favorite job you've ever had um my favorite job I've ever had was when I was like a bike mechanic um at this like collectively owned bike shop in Boston um it was just like a really solid workplace it was really fun I like never thought that I was like a mechanically inclined person and I like didn't know anything about tools going into it and then it like turned out that like I could do things and like actually you can learn and like you know, stuff like that. Like it doesn't, I think, especially like in the bike industry, it feels like stuff is like, it doesn't, especially as like a person who's not like a cis dude, like it feels like the door is not open to you. And it was very cool to be like, oh yeah, actually like you, I can do these things. And like, I can also like teach other people and like work with other people so that they like also learn those things. Well, first I'll say we asked that question. Cause I, I did read, like I do my research, like we, we read before. <laughs> um, and I like, I know you've had like a bunch of very cool jobs like bike mechanic or cake decorator. We have that in your bio. 
it's funny that it's just funny the way you speak about that job because I'm like oh like so obviously as an outsider like this is an extension of Bettina's like practice about like investigating like community oriented like <laughs> spaces and like ways people do things so it's just a it seems like it fits. It's it's also like so easy to see other people. Sometimes I feel like it's hard to see your own stuff, but yeah, totally. like when, yeah. When I see you writing, I'm like, oh, of course, like this makes sense. Uh, community minded, like patina, internet trend, like aware, <laughs> filling the niche of ignored internet culture. <laughs> I also okay. think that was just like a fun job because like it was so manual compared to like. You know, now, like, my, I like, I love writing. It's like the thing that, like, like, I think, like, ideally, like, I love having, I loved having, like, because I was freelance writing while doing that. And so it's just really nice to have a job where you're just like, your work is just like fully, like, literally with your hands. And like, it's not like as, like, because it's so easy to get in my head just like writing, right? Like, it's like in my head about the thing I'm writing, but also just like putting it on the internet. And just like, that was very nice to be like, okay, I'm just going to like turn these, like, these bolts for a while, you know? Absolutely. I felt, I felt the same way when I was like a sign painter and then I was like craving like more design agency. And now like when I have to do like a design job, like I, I love, I guess the, also the tension, I guess we can call tension between like physical work and um like more like thoughtful, like white collar stuff. Not that the mm -hmm. latter is less thoughtful, but just more like, um, oh, they call it something with like, the college job I don't know something like that but <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is um okay finally we wanted to ask you about a couple of your favorite things if you don't mind like a nice light ending yeah totally okay so I'll just like think okay I really like if you wait oh you have a this prompt. is even better I don't know oh you have a prompt no go for the prompt I thought okay. you just went like open-ended. I was about to, I was like, like Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fine too. We'll take it. <laughs> if you had something, you feel free to share it first. <laughs> okay. What is your, your favorite place to be on a summer day? Honestly, I love being like, okay. Like pre-COVID, I loved being like in the movie theater where it's really cold and like drinking an afternoon beer while watching like a very silly movie. What is your favorite place to be on a winter day? Opposite like reading on my couch with like a blanket and like a fake fireplace video on the TV. Also so good. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite trend so far of 2022? Hmm. Okay. I feel like on like part of like, this is very niche, but like on Instagram, like I feel like there's been this big thing where people are doing like a whipped butter and then just posting like these giant, like heaps of butter on a plate. And I'm just obsessed with like the way they look. I'm never going to do it because it feels like I don't need that much butter on a single plate ever, but I love it aesthetically. Trend watch. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen those yet. I'll be on the lookout. Well. <laughs> and also, um, what is your favorite meat substitute? Um, tofu. Particularly, awesome. I love like, I love like tofu that's been like frozen and then thawed because it gets like really dense, you know. It's the classic. My trick I learned from you. Thank you. That was all we had, but if you had any like advice to leave the listeners who are like, you know, also creative and they're they're trying to make their way on social media and also in their early creative careers. But if not, that's also fine. You could just you could just tell them to listen to everything you said and like glean from that. Okay. I mean, like the one like the main thing that I feel like that like 
not enough people like give advice about, about creatively is just like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people get way too in their heads about strategizing like the internet and platforms and like every project has to have its own Instagram page and stuff like that. And I think that like, ultimately, like what's worked for me is like people caring about like me as a person. And then all the other stuff is just like a thing that they like, because they like, like my perspective or like, you know, like that sometimes I post like shit post on Twitter and other times I post serious things. And I think that like, I don't know, I think that like more people should sort of have feel like they have the freedom to just be themselves. And I know that like, you know, I feel like literally today, the New York Times is like, journalists should be less on Twitter. But at the same time, I do think it is like, I don't know, I think that like, more people should feel like, free to just like, show more facets of themselves on social media and like, online, basically. Um, Because I do think it is like a narrow and not it's like, it's not really a fun box when like you approach everything as like, you know, a work thing with a very particular end goal, you know, also because it's cold email, I used to be really scared of ever reaching out to people or emailing people. And then I just like realized one day that like, actually you can just like send anyone an email provided that you can find their email address. And like, if they ignore you or if they say no to your like, you know, request for like a coffee or like information or whatever, then like, you know, like at least you tried. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I definitely did not need to be as scared as I used to be. Wow. Has someone ever, I know that was so nice. That was just like, okay, be yourself, which I love. That's like a theme, running theme here. Um, so I appreciate that. I'm going to, I'm going to follow that more as I try to every day. Um, has someone ever said like, I do not want to get coffee with you. Sorry. I just, I'm very curious now. Like, um, okay. I guess I've never really asked someone to get coffee, like in real life, but like, you know, just like being like, Oh, I really like your career. Or like, here's a question about a thing. Like, I feel like no one, if any, like the worst that has happened is I've gotten like ignored, but like, you know, I feel like it's like, and especially like, just like in journalism, like, Oh, like, I feel like I've reached out to so many, like people about like really stupid, like, you know, once I like reached out to Christopher Maloney's agent and was like, well, he talked to me about his, like his routine to make his like, butt so round. This is when this was like very much on the Twitter discourse. And like, they didn't even respond, but I was like, oh yeah, you can just like do that. Like, it's like, nothing is actually stopping me from like trying to interview someone really famous or whatever. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we did that. Like, yeah. not that people are like such celebrities, but they're like, I don't know, like yeah. illustration yeah. and design celebrities. It's freeing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think like, it's also helpful to just like realize that like, it's been helpful for me at least to realize that like, even like all the people I like idolized in food writing are also just like real people who like sometimes like post dumb stuff on Twitter. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, you're not actually just like this like deity, right? You're like also just a person. Right. There's like, this is, this is coming to bad time because we're running out of time, but there's this very interesting um, Chris Hayes, New Yorker piece about like how, I think it's called on the internet. We're all famous. I think maybe we'll link it. Um, but I think I read that, but I don't remember. Yeah. He's just like, oh, like celebrity, like we're all celebrities because the internet. And then there's some like critical theory thrown in there. Yeah. I feel like these platforms make it like, yeah, like this is like a little like celebrity, but it's like a guy named like Joe in Bushwick. Like, yeah, yeah. it's it's like nice to remember that people are people, even if they ignore you, they're just like busy or dumb or just like didn't see it. 
Yeah, like literally, I feel like most of the time when I ignore people, it's like literally by accident because I saw the DM at three in the morning and then fell asleep again. You know, like <laughs> I feel like most of the time there's not actually like a nefarious reason behind things like that. So you you heard Bettina ask send the email. <laughs> okay maybe the last thing is yes like email specifically because i feel like everyone's dms are always such a mess that like email is good (laughs) there you have it yeah thanks for talking to us thanks so much yeah thank you for having me so our next guest is amy bravo amy bravo is a cuban italian american visual artist located in new york city Amy holds a BFA in communications design illustration from Pratt Institute and is currently um, a Hunter Spring 22 MFA candidate. Amy has exhibited in galleries across multiple U.S. cities since 2019 and began exhibiting internationally in 2021. Amy is a recipient of a 2022 residency with the Fountainhead in Miami and is the biggest survivor fan in the fine arts space. Okay. All right. Let's get into it. Part 2, The Interview with Amy Bravo. It's nice to see you. Yeah, what's it's up? It's nice to see you. It's been like <laughs> that what, long here. Yeah. The whole pandemic. <laughs> yeah. you, know? you know, it like dawned on me the other day. I was like, I've been in New York for seven years, which is like something 40-year-old people say. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's spooky. Pratt was so yeah. long ago. Yeah. I know for years so long and yet like everything that happened there feels like it was two seconds ago I know especially yeah. the hurtful things. <laughs> <laughs> well so much of it was like a deep nightmare that came to life we'll, we'll be touching upon that yeah yeah <laughs> oh good okay slightly um welcome Amy it's so nice to see you after oh, so long um, yeah uh good I guess we'll you too yeah full disclosure we all we all went to pratt together yep. amy i think you were ra once actually yes you were <laughs> unfortunately yes i was an ra for money <laughs> but i was cool could... which is what they all say you were a cool ra we had chips in the hallway that's that good. one time <laughs> that's true yeah i no like i never did anything for like the socials like there was like plan a party for your residents and I would like throw a thing of donuts in the hallway and be like eat you bastards it was cool it was cool well (laughs) glad it was appreciated so what question one the big one I mean they're all big they're all little they're fine whatever what social media platform do you use or platforms that should be plural um and I guess like what are the strengths and weaknesses of each platform or just you could say your favorite and least favorite platforms to use yeah i mean professionally i like only use instagram and my website like there's really no point in anything else for a, at least like a painter i get like illustrators use twitter and stuff but like it's not really normal to put like a, a large scale painting on twitter i kind of wish it was cuz twitter is more fun Um, and I use it more recreationally, but yeah, it's all Instagram. So like we're locked into this terrible app that I don't like. 
Did I miss a part two? <laughs> no, sorry. We just, no. it's, it's like okay, a little good. odd because yeah. we're not in the same room. <laughs> yes. So we'll have, I know. Yeah, I'm like looking back at like our Google doc. Like, and I'm oh, like, like what wait, is say? it my turn to ask a question <laughs> now? Um, but yeah, I think yeah. we can both agree with Instagram being evil, but feeling like you have to use it. I feel like that was the whole inspiration for this episode. Like, what yeah, do do? well, I mean, I used to use it like as a shit posting receptacle which was great I missed that's the thing I miss most like having transitioned to a, a slightly more professional tone on Instagram is like I can't just shit post anymore um and I have to like make captions that have like proper capitalization sometimes which is like as someone who is like raised on tumblr that's like completely outside of my nature to do I'm like I don't want to sound I don't know, professional, it just doesn't seem natural or right. So I'm trying to strike a balance between like how I authentically want to talk and how I feel like I have to. But if you're announcing like a, an opening, you can't be like, LOL, come through. <laughs> like It's not going to work. You don't think it would work or it doesn't work? Uh, <laughs> you definitely need to do LOL, come through. And then like, a blurb underneath with like the press release and then like <laughs> the show details, which takes you out of it completely. The the story is the place to play. The story is the one last uh, shit posting zone and I'm using it until I die. But I do think there are certain things I can't post anymore, even on my story. So depressing. I mean, not unless Tumblr makes a complete comeback, which I feel like it kind of is. I wish it would. Come on. Like I'm only, I haven't used it in years because everyone that I was friends with on Tumblr moved to Twitter at some point. Like we became, like we outgrew it. Like we were like the kids in high school who were going to the football games or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I would get back on Tumblr if they brought it back in full force. David Karp, where are you at? So do you feel successful on social media? And like, what is your like metric of success for like yourself on social media I think that's a mixed bag because sometimes I do in comparison to like some other I, I, well it's weird because it is like a comparison place like you can't be like well I am an isolated island on social media like compared to some other people I know I guess you could say I'm successful but compared to other people like no absolutely not so I it comes in waves where I'm like yeah I'm doing pretty good and then like I'll see someone else like blow up and you're like, well, maybe I, maybe I'm wrong <laughs> and I'm just a liar. But I think, I mean, it has been the most useful thing, Instagram specifically, like for my, like generating success in my career, like getting sales, getting clients, getting gallery and interest. So yeah, there's a success in that, even if it like the, the like general idea of what success is on Instagram is like the follower number but I feel like the quality of followers that I've been able to get is pretty good, which I would rather have like less followers that actually are interested in my work than like a ton of followers who just like saw something and, and came along for the ride. The bots, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, <do> you... <laughs> I'm a girl boss. <laughs> no, the B-O-T-S. Like the, the oh, followers. I no, like sure. Okay. I was just talking about bots with somebody. <laughs> I was just talking about bots with somebody because like I'll post anything 
every time I post, I lose like a couple followers. And I think it's because bots have like it in their algorithm where sometimes like they'll just drop off at random. A lot of bots follow art accounts. So like I will lose probably 40 followers a week and probably some of them are real people who hate me. And then a decent amount of them are probably bots too. <laughs> but you can tell it'll always be like um, somebody with like 20 followers or, you know, yeah, but they're okay. everywhere. Or like the people who comment on your posts and they're like, tag us to get your art promoted. <laughs> like the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I say, I'll say like, sometimes it's just such a mystery what happens online. I think that's why it's also like, so hard to navigate because it's like why am I losing like 40 followers per post like oh theory like the the bots unfollow based on like yeah I I mean I totally agree with that the bots unfollow we all know yeah we don't really know um but anyways yeah you mentioned uh getting like uh sales and like picked up by galleries and stuff just based on Instagram um can you just speak to how that kind of works for you? Yeah, it's like a really long process. I think I started it junior year of crap. Like I started sowing the seeds that have like come to harvest now. Um, it was because Kenichi, who was teaching at Pratt, was like very, very intense about using Instagram for your artwork. He was like, it's the best thing. And he was right, you know. Um, and so I started doing like um, the really like the stuff that feels gross where you're like liking a bunch of people's posts or like you see someone post about um, a show that they're doing and then you go find the curator and they're like comment and you go follow the curator and then hopefully they'll follow you or you like follow a bunch of people that they follow so that you're kind of like weaseling your way into their circle essentially. It's like you have to start with people who are like very close to like where the next step is for you in your career. Like you can't be like, I'm gonna go follow Jennifer Packer and try and get in her circle. Like you're not gonna right away, like maybe in a couple of years, I don't know. Yeah, and then like for a while it won't work and then eventually it will, hopefully. And you have to keep posting your work as much as you can, like, which sucks because then sometimes you feel like you're making work just to post it, um, which I have, forced myself to get out of um, that mindset because it's just not conducive to making good work. Um, but yeah, you're basically like weaseling your way into people's circles that are like already a little bit more successful than you. And then like eventually people will start coming to you. And so I got my first show pretty much that way because I followed someone from Someone, I think it was a the husband of a Pratt professor who was in like the fine arts department. She was an adjunct um, and he happened to be a curator and he followed me back because like, I don't know, we had like mutual followers or whatever. And he came to my studio when I first got to Hunter because um, he saw my Instagram account and was like, okay, I want to put your work in a show. And I did that show at Friedman Gallery during the pandemic, like June, 2020, I think. And it was my first like official gallery show and it was very cool. Um, but most of my like curator connects came through Instagram first or like now that I've been out like going to openings and stuff, it's like, I'll meet someone in person 
and then you sort of like cement the connection with the Instagram follow, <laughs> which sucks, but it is like how it goes. And then you, um, you know, like then they'll DM you if they want to do a studio visit or whatever. But it is really like you have to post your work, even if you don't like if you don't like the painting, like find a part of it you like and take a picture of that. Like, or like if you like how your floor looks while you're making it. Um, it's it, and buyers Instagram? come after curators. Okay, sorry. It's good to know too. No, that's <laughs> once fine. like was... the curators follow you, they're like latched on. <laughs> it's so and it's always like a buyer. So sorry, there's always like some guy named Jim, like with like first name, bunch of numbers, like they look like bots usually. And they'll always be private for the most part, unless they have like collector in their bio. Um, and you can just tell when someone's a collector and they follow you, like they have a really low key account, but they're following like everyone you've ever liked. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I don't know. No, it's okay. Today. I shut up. <laughs> no, I like it. I was just going to say, I'm just so taken aback. Um, I'm always like, oh, fine art and like communications design, like there's, they're not that far apart, like ideologically, no. like they're, they're kind of not, but like, just like the way you go about getting work and like the way things work is just like, so completely different. Like, is it really so different? It's different to sell, like, but... a... Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm just thinking about like, no, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Someone on like Twitter selling like a small canvas painting versus like you know, like a collector approaching you about a large scale um, work, like it, it really is so different. It is and it isn't because like ultimately it's just sliding into DMs just on like whatever platform they find you on. And then usually like you have to make a PDF of all your work and email it to them. And then like eight times out of 10, they're not going to answer you, which sucks. <laughs> it's so annoying because um, like getting the measurements for all your work and like making the material list, pricing it, is like half the battle. Um, so then when someone doesn't even send a like, thanks, uh, maybe next time, like it does suck, but yeah. I guess it's the big C that feels so different. The collectors, the curators. Yeah. 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 Anyways. But collect you learn very quickly that collectors are like just some people, like they're not. <laughs> All right, I think I had the next question, but I feel like we kind of covered it. so. I'll, do you want to yeah. Take? Okay. Yeah. I also feel like you kind of answered this one. Um, but do you feel like posting online is necessary to like your career growth? Yeah, it is. Maybe you can't like if your account is dead, no one's ever going to see you. It's like you do feel like a little bit of like a like a monkey like clapping your symbols for money on the street. Like, but you you have to, I guess. Um, but if you get to a point where you feel like you're making work for like to post on Instagram, you have to like take a week off because it's not, you're never going to make anything good that way. And it used to be like when I first started posting, like you had to post every day for like the way the algorithm worked then it was like, you have to post every day. And now I find that it's, I get a better response if I post like every few days instead, or like once or twice a week, sometimes even. Okay. Do you ever like, are you like, okay, I'm comparing myself to everyone career wise, but also like personally, like what I'm wearing, the way I look like everything. Yeah. It's built for it, I guess. Yeah. And that's like why it truly sucks that we have to use it. 
Um, because it's like, usually you'd just be rooting for people. Like, and most of the people that I get, like compare, like I compare myself to, I am rooting for to an extent, but then like once they hit like a certain milestone before me, I'm like, oh God, damn it. Now there's no room for me, which is like, not how it works. There's like a million galleries in New York. Like just cause someone got representation at one doesn't mean you'll never get any anywhere else. But I find that when I get into that, I, I just mute that person's account for like as long as it takes me to stop thinking about, like if I'm checking someone's posts and like, like all the time, you have to mute because it's like, it takes you away from your work. And it just like, I don't know. It makes you disregard like all the success you have just because someone else has something that you don't yet. And everyone's career goes at a completely, like completely different pace. I'm in an MFA program, which like delays and accelerates certain things. Um, so I, it's just not useful. The mute button is a friend. Absolutely. I do the same thing. I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's actually so crucial. Yeah. Speaking of your MFA. I did a little hand motion. I guess no one can see that. Um, <laughs> I think we'll we'll shift more to like that and your visual practice now. If you're okay. okay with that, we can finally stop talking sure. about stupid Instagram. No, you can. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we both knew you obviously at Pratt, like when you were an illustration major. And can you speak like a little bit about like that transition, like from illustration to fine art? And like post-college too? Yeah. I think like the moment I realized I had to make fine art, well, it kind of was a little bit of a process. I started looking around during crit and being like, everyone else seems like they just kind of like have this visual language in a way that I don't like. And I was not getting any joy from doing assignments, which was really like what made me feel like I could not function as an illustrator is like, ultimately you are going to be doing something for an art director. Even if you have a project that has a little more creative license, like there's a lot of instances where there's a client and I couldn't really do that. I, I was over the like assignments about reading the New York times and making a drawing. Like it just, it didn't work for me. And it, I was jealous of how well it was working for everyone else. And then like kind of around that time, I think it was like first semester of junior year, we went to the Carrie James Marshall show at the Met Breuer Brewer. I don't know, <laughs> however you pronounce it, Breuer. Yes. Um, and it was insane. Like it was so good. Um, I Like I stayed there for so long and then I like, there was one painting uh, beauty examined that I look at like constantly now um, and I think it like made me want to start painting and want to start painting really really big um, so that's when like I got the little itch in my brain that I'm like I'm gonna finish this program as a painter and I'm gonna do what I need to do to make that happen so then the next semester I took um, both my illustration classes with Chang and Kenichi who were painters and like knew about that world um, and then the whole next year, I started taking fine arts classes and um, got the idea in my brain to do the drawing installation class, which was like basically going to be the biggest obstacle <laughs> of my undergrad career, like transforming this disgusting basement into an installation. Um, but I think doing that and like 
forcing myself to engage with an entire space at once made me completely rewire my brain from illustration. Um, even though there's a lot of illustration DNA still in my work, um, it's definitely changed how I make work now. Like every time I hang a, paint, a painting on the wall, like I'm thinking about the installation around it. So what I'm working on now is very much spatial as much as it is like individual pieces on the wall, I want them to feel completely integrated. So yeah, I went from making like 18 by 12 paintings for, for illustration assignments. Um, the, I thought the best way to completely like break old habits was to make my first painting really, really big. So I bought a roll of canvas from Blick. Uh, it was 72 inches tall. And then I just like rolled it out on my wall in my dorm and started working. And I made that painting and it, I still want, like I wanna look at that painting all the time even though I don't have it with me anymore. Um, Cause I think like a lot of interesting decision-making happened on it. And it was really like the process of like kicking away illustration methods and getting into, and deciding which ones to keep and then getting into like fine arts painting. So I kept like graphite and I kept certain line qualities and modes of making. And then like, there was a point in making the painting that everything looked super colored in and super done. And I think the moment that I like sort of broke away from illustration was when I like took my gesso and like kind of started scrubbing things out, which has become a huge part of my language is like the scrubbing away of imagery. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's all in that painting. That painting is like the escape from illustration. And then I haven't really made many small paintings since. Like that is the scale now. It's like 70 inches at least. Was it hard to like diverge from like the program's expectations as you took this kind of like long journey away from illustration? A little bit. I mean, there were moments where I was like, like when people were going to like Society of Illustrators doing, you know, or like you get like, somebody you know would get like the New York Times thing whatever I'd be like man I wish I could do both you know um but then there are moments where I'm like I'm a renegade I'm doing what I want to do <laughs> like you know um so it was a little bit of both but I think ultimately I just knew at my core that like I would not be able to sustain an illustration practice like for someone who doesn't sketch before they make something like you can't really be a, a, a professional illustrator and not sketch like you have to submit sketches so even on that level like it was just never going to work out <laughs> so once I came to terms with it it was fine so interesting to hear like I have no comments just very <laughs> interesting and enlightening it's also interesting because yeah. we literally watched it <laughs> like yeah I know <laughs> like, you guys were like in my class yeah <laughs> I'm mean, like all of us we were doing senior yeah. project together yeah, yeah. like I know we're like asking these questions as if like you know we assume we have no knowledge but I'm like I remember Jordan Issop's class and you were like yeah I'm gonna be a painter and we we're all like yeah do it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I remember like we did the hundred drawings assignment and then all his I was like that was when I was in my transitional phase of like going from illustration to drawing I was like I'm not drawing painting whatever I draw and paint eh. um <laughs> I like, I was like, oh, I'll take Jordan's editorial illustration class because I knew that that was like sort of how he structured it. So I was in the mindset that I would end up doing both. So like, 
we were doing, we were getting all these like respond to this assignment things. And then in Kenichi's class, it was like, do whatever you want. And I was like, I just want to do whatever I want. Like all the, all the assignments for Jordan's class were really good assignments, but I just didn't want to do them. And it was like, it was, I'm, I guess I don't like being told what to do, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. Absolutely. It's also so interesting for me to hear about the illustration department, because I think <laughs> when graphic design got to the higher levels of courses, like thesis and like whatever, like pre-thesis, no, it was mostly like not. They were just like, okay, you're going to like make <laughs> things in, you're going to make the fly land on the dollar bill, Isaac Paris or whatever. <laughs> Isaac Paris vibe. <laughs> I think we were in the same class actually. <laughs> Um, we were, and it was like yeah. a spin class. Bad, <laughs> bad times. Uh, but yeah, it was like that. And then boom, suddenly, I think the fine art graphic design at like the highest levels, or I think the graphic design courses at the, the higher levels functioned kind of more as design as fine art classes. Like I, um, I think everyone like did not do branding systems, at least with the professors I took. So I feel like maybe if the program was more open, it, I don't know. It seems like you, you had to fight. I remember that at the time, like you were kind of fighting. We did. Not to, not to. <laughs> it was like very competitive. Here. Yeah. No, like but fight. like, it was cause there were very like trodden paths towards success. And if you weren't like doing the Pratt mode of success, which is like, okay, you get some sort of editorial gig, like maybe by the end of your junior year or the first semester of your senior year, like you're you're one of the bad ones like there was like this weird energy that was around there and I was like I actually can't like live like this I need to do something else um and I didn't feel it like liberated me from feeling competitive because I wasn't really doing anything that other like other people in the program were doing and I don't know I feel like if I didn't do illustration I wouldn't be a, a painter like if I didn't study illustration, if I studied fine arts, I would have just like, I don't know, quit and got a different job and be like working as a dog trainer or something. <laughs> like Fine arts undergrad seems like hell. Speaking of undergrad versus grad, I know a lot of people, especially from Pratt, don't, if they have like a, an undergrad degree in like a, or like a BFA, we'll say they don't always immediately go get an MFA. I know that's like kind of the, the expected norm for a lot of people. You broke the norm. A lot of people do, but <laughs> I think most people of Pratt didn't. Um, yeah. What led you to that decision? Well, I felt like I missed out on certain things because I had studied illustration. Like I didn't get as, like I never got like a fine arts crit really because I only took like intro to painting. So like we weren't really getting into the work, you know? Um, and I just felt like I wasn't done yet. Like I had just started doing the thing I wanted to do. And I felt like I needed the training wheels on a little bit longer and I was just ready to keep going. So I got the idea to like immediately apply. And I only really wanted to go to Hunter. I applied to Columbia, which was a joke. Like they were never gonna let me in. Um, and yeah, I applied to Hunter and I think I was the only person in my semester who came right from undergrad. And there's only a handful of us in this like very big program that did that. And I, I thought I wouldn't get in because of that. Um, but yeah, it was really just because I felt like I needed to keep going. 
with, and I love crit, like I love crit and I love having professors to talk to and that like safety net. And then now it's about to be released and who knows what will happen like in hell. So where do you see yourself in your career in five minutes, five months and five years? In five minutes, I see myself um, having my dearly beloved thesis group coming into my studio to help me uh, figure out some installation questions. What was it? Five months? Five months, I see myself hopefully in a studio that is like adequate size. Um, I have a couple things coming down the pipe in fall and winter that I need to be like frantically working towards. So I'll hopefully be, yeah, working hard, but not as crazy as I am right now where I'm like sleeping at the studio and stuff. Um, and then five years, I would just like to uh, have a balance and still have autonomy over my work. So. I'm not like gonna make the benchmark like a gallery representation because I think that's actually sort of like an outdated form of career for someone very early in their career. Like if the right gallery came along, I'd say yes. But I think a lot of young artists get pressured into gallery representation too early and then you lose 50% of your sales for as long as that contract runs. <laughs> I think I would like to be somewhere where I have a comfortable mode of working and autonomy over where my work goes, like who's buying it and um, how, like at what pace it's made. That's a, that's a very, I love that goal. I really do. Because I think <laughs> when you like, I want to yeah. be in the MoMA. <laughs> well, yeah. <I> don't. <laughs> when people, <laughs> when people work towards those benchmarks of like, I always look at it as like people who are like, I just like, I really want a boyfriend. Like that's always the lens that I look at this oh stuff my in. God. and then when they I just date. Little, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. When I was little, I'd be like every year on my birthday, I'd be like, this is the year I'm yeah. going to get a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and then spoiler, it, she was gay all along. <laughs> <laughs> but in the, in this example, <laughs> um, I feel like it, a lot of those people end up dating really evil guys like I feel like some yeah. of my friends boyfriends I've met over the years I was like oh like we just like, yeah we get it well, like, and we'll there are a lot of galleries <laughs> that are like bad boyfriends yeah like, they will take advantage of you I've gotten some shady contracts already and like they think you're stupid because you're in your MFA or you're young and they expect right. you not to read the fine print and they want to rope you into a contract you're not ready for uh, it's really important to have people that like are unbiased and will help you decipher this shit because you can get looped into like a legal nightmare. So for you, is that just kind of people in your your program that you've been surrounded by through Hunter? I found like, um, yeah, through people at Hunter, I found a couple people who work in the art space that are like a guiding light of uh, like not in it for themselves, not trying to make money off you, like just want to make sure your career goes where it needs to go. And they're like invaluable human beings. Absolutely. I just want to clarify my comment, not to be gendered, just my experience. <laughs> it's a lot of bad boys. No, it's okay. There's, no, because that's <laughs> I'm for the like. listeners. <laughs> I'm like, don't cancel me. Anyone please. can be bad. Anyone you date can be bad. <laughs> it's true. I guess. I'll clarify that like when you want something really bad, it's easy to overlook um, the bad stuff you have to 
do to make it happen or like the bad stuff you have to put up with so anyways back to that's why I really like your goal because I'm like so feasible like so like supportive of yourself and your practice and it's not about like external um I'm like perfect very nice great goal (laughs) all right yeah I've been burned too many times before so yeah I've gotta I've gotta proceed with care yeah yeah happens to the best of us people love to step on (laughs) creatives of all kinds unfortunately um I'm gonna end this kind of weird this should have probably been the first question but it got pushed to the end which is okay in five words or less what is your practice most informed by loss for sure assemblage conflict home in all forms how many words am I at four maybe (laughs) Four. Okay. Oh God. I have one more. Um, drawing. Drawing is everything. Very nice. Oh, also, is there, um, if someone wants to buy a painting of yours, where can they do that? Do they just have to DM you? Yeah, you can DM me, um, or you can email me, but I honestly answer DMs faster than my email because it's like, uh, my email is a nightmare landscape right now. Um, but yeah, you can DM me. Cool. Okay. Thank you, Amy. I'm going to stop recording. Cold Email is a very professional podcast about being early career creatives and all the trials, tribulations, and good times that come with it. Recorded, written, and performed by Basha Kurlander and Olive Lagaze. Edited by Basha Kurlander. Follow us on Instagram at cold.email and check out our website, cold-email.tumble.com. Email us at coldemail1000 at gmail.com with any questions you want us to answer on the show, suggestions for future themes, or to inquire about guests starring in an episode. Music by Basha Kurlander aka Marbling. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, wait, sorry. I didn't mean to put that in there. I watched this ice cream show. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. The guy sucks. I hate him so uh-huh. much, but I like ice cream. Anyways, sorry. I'm going to cut that out. Do you yeah. hear those kids? Yeah, they're skateboarding. Oh, my God, no. The dear listeners, can you hear the skateboarding teens? I'm looking to not be around <laughs> They got out of class an hour anymore. ago. Well. They're skateboarding. This is um, Kaya the Panini. That's the user. I don't know it. I just got the, just reading Google.